And so we ask God that you would speak to us directly, speak to us in a supernatural way that only you know the things that we're considering and thinking about and asking God that you would speak into. And you are so faithful to take your word and by your spirit use such uh, uh, feeble efforts by men uh, to actually speak to the, into the lives of your people. And so we ask God that you would do that today and uh, may you cause us to see you greater, love you more, and uh, be equipped even more so to live for your glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So the Lord's Prayer. Um, I'm not sure. I didn't ask or consider when you may have looked at this prayer yourselves recently. Uh, you may have been through a study on it. That's possible. I think you went through, at least in those years that I've been kind of showing up and around here, uh, you've been in the Westminster Confession, and you can't go through that without at some point uh, dealing with the Lord's Prayer. It's interesting that all those confessions, all those um, those uh, catechisms that we go back to and look at and use in order to help ground and, dis, uh, and disciple our children, but in some ways we're just as much grounding and discipling ourselves, uh, that they all have this in common, right? That the Lord's Prayer is one of the things that we definitely want to understand. Like the Ten Commandments, um, it's, it's critical for us to, to not only uh, understand what it's teaching, but then to put it into practice. Jesus taught this prayer, uh, obviously, with the motive, with the idea that we could gain from it how we ought to pray. And if all we do as a result of, of studying this prayer is just learn, then in a sense it's, it's failed because Jesus instructed his disciples so that they would pray more effectively, pray more uh, consistently. And so he's giving us this model, this guide, so that we could, in, when it's all said and done, put it into practice and be better in our praying, right? So we have the model prayer, and we also have the model prayer, <laughs> um, teaching it to us. Uh, so we learn from the heart of Christ. We learn from his words as he teaches his disciples. We, in some ways, this isn't really the Lord's Prayer. You know that John 17, in some ways, is really more accurately the Lord's Prayer. But he's teaching us this so that we, as his children, as his disciples, uh, can, can put these things into practice and pray more effectively. And so, with, obviously, for t our purposes today, we're moving down to one petition within it. But uh, before we do, I think it's... Uh, all surrounding it, we see the emphasis on, on uh, the Father. Uh, Jesus leads up to this prayer by teaching us about the, the heart of the Father, teaching us that He will reward us, that He, he values us praying in secret and uh, tru truly uh, having communion with the Father. Uh, this prayer and all this surrounding teaching helps us to understand who our God is. And who our Father is. It, uh, you remember that J.I. Packer said, you know, this is, this is really the heart of it. That a Christian really can be measured by his understanding uh, of the Father and his relationship as a child to the Father. Uh, and maybe kind of combining that, I think it was Tozer who said, you know, that, that when you, what, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think about God? And, he's, and in that he's saying that really is the most important thing about you. 
<laughs> is, is what do you think of God? And if we combine that with what Packer is saying, what we should be thinking of when we think of God is that ultimately he is our father. He is our heavenly father who loves to give good gifts, as we read, who, who knows our needs and wants to meet them and wants us to seek him. And in seeking him, he's given us then, Jesus has taught us these different ways of going about coming before our Father. And, and again, in these opening petitions, he's emphasizing to us what, it ought, what ought to be a priority to us as we pray, because we're praying to God and wanting his priorities to be on our lips and even more so within the desires of our heart. So we come to the Father and we say, oh, our Father who's in heaven, and we start with, hallowed be your name, right? But this is the primary thing. We want your name to be glorified. Your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, if I really wanted to focus in today on what I think is the primary part of this prayer, I would have said, hallowed be your name. We're, we're moving from that. But, so I, I want to say that to say that when we talk about God's will today, it's underneath the banner of your name being hallowed. I would say that these aren't equal petitions, meaning he's hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. I think all of this falls under the key petition that we want your name to be glorified, your name to be hallowed. Now we're asking, what would that look like? Or how can we do that? And one of the first things that we say is, we long for your will to be done because that brings you glory. We want your will to be done in, on earth as it is in heaven. All right, so all that by introduction, right? So let's get into the actual petition here that your will be done. And someone has said in one of these confessions, when we pray your will be done, we are asking for God to rule us, to rule us by his word and by his spirit. We're asking him to rule us so that we may know, love, and obey his will and his ways. So we're asking him to rule and to, uh, to guide and lead. And when we think of God's will, when we think of his guiding and leading, there's at least two aspects to that. We could say that there is, there is the revealed will of God, and then there is, you know, a, a secret will. <laughs> um, the revealed will, that's clear to us. God has blessed us to speak to us, to make himself known. We hold in our hands his revealed will, right? Uh, I love the old hymn that says, how firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, it is that that uh, foundation has been placed, he says, it is, it is placed for your faith in his excellent word. And what more could God say than to you he has said, <laughs> right? So we have this privilege today that when we hear, or we hope that we hear a sermon that takes us to the words of God, um, but all we're doing is preaching what God has already spoken. So this is, this is God's revealed will. And we all know that we would know very little about the will of God if it wasn't for this book. 
How, how could I even seek out knowing and doing the will of God if, if I did not have uh, this, this revelation that God has given to us? That's why the psalmist delights in it. That's what we, we saw that in Psalm 19. Uh, he speaks of it as being sweeter than honey or worth more than gold. Uh, it, it is this book. So we can at least start there, right? When we think about God's will, we can say, well, 99.9% of the will of God for your life and mine is right here. It's revealed to us. Uh, and so that's why, again, we say, rule us by your word. Rule us by your spirit as the true teacher of the word. We want to be the people, we want to be a people who love God's will and then do it. And this is, this is the priority of God's will. That we, that we find in God's word all throughout. Uh, I, I love the way James puts it, right? That we want to be, not just be hearers of the word, but we, but we want to be doers of it. We, we want to hear it, love it, live it out. And so that's an aspect of this prayer, right? When we're praying, your, your will be done, an aspect of it is we're saying to God, Help us, oh God, to take you at your word. Help us to believe it. There's, certainly there's a fight going on in our culture, right? And, it, and, it's, and to some extent, I'm, it, it doesn't bother me when the fight's outside in the culture. Like, that's expected, right? Why would the world submit itself to the word of God or to the truths of God if they do not know God? Now, we, we pray, obviously, to that end. We pray that they would come to know God so that they might know the words of God. I mean, I love the way Alistair Begg puts it. He, he talks about uh, when before we knew Christ, we, we were looking at the world upside down. And then when you came to Christ, he turns you right side up. But remember, everybody else out there in the world is still walking around upside down. So when they see you walking right side up, what do they think of you? They think you look ridiculous. Even though you're saying, but you're the ones walking on your heads. But they don't know that. So that's, so then when we get caught up in thinking that we've got to kind of turn, do this in such a way that's going to cause them, it's ridiculous. They're never going to see this as normal until they're turned right side up. So, when it, when it comes to what's going on out there, we recognize that. But, but the bigger fight, I mean, the fight really, sadly, I hate to use the word fight, but it's true. Within the church, we're, we're in a battle for over, over, this, over what God's word says and whether we'll hold to it, come what may. <laughs> you know, whatever the circumstances are, whatever the consequences are, will we stand true and say, no, this is what the word of God says. So to, to take it at its word, as it's revealed to us, and, and to know it, to love it, to cherish it, and to obey it. That's, that's a huge part of what I think we need to think about when we pray and ask for God, for God's will to be done. But there's also this other aspect, not just God's revealed will, but his secret will. Um, and this is really, it may even be more challenging uh, than it is to just obey God's revealed will. It, it's, it's, now, I'm using the word secret. You probably think of Deuteronomy 29, 29. You know, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. 
Within that, it says that the things that are revealed belong to us and, his, and, and, and our children. Uh, so there are, God has chosen to reveal some things to us and they're for us to know and to live out. But there's also some secret things that he isn't telling us. There, there are some things that God wills that we don't know the reason for it. And in, it's in those moments that we're really challenged when this little petition comes up, that we would pray for your will to be done. Uh, what, what a challenge this is. It's a challenge to our very prayer life. Because sometimes we come to prayer, we come to God in prayer, just wanting Him to stamp our decisions. It's hard for us to acknowledge that, but it's true sometimes that we, that we actually are just praying with this desire that God would just say yes. <laughs> A little bit like when our children come to us and they ask us, but they really already hope and have really already prepared for yes, right? You know, I think we learn that with teenagers. Like they come and they ask something, you're going, okay, but it sounds like you've already got that planned. You've already made it, the arrangements. So you're not really coming to see if I'm going to say yes or no. You've already banked on yes. You just want me to stamp it, right? And sometimes we do that with God. Prayer, prayer is not talking God into things, right? Instead, we're to be the people who are on earth who pray and desire for God's will above all other things. Now, the honest response to that is, do we always, do we always desire God's will above all things? And I have to be honest and say no. But that's the point of the prayer. We're asking in this request for God to align, God to do a work within our hearts to align our desires with His, to rule in our hearts in such a way that His will would overwhelm even our own wills. I love how Kevin DeYoung puts this. He says, to pray the Lord's Prayer takes a lot of believing guts. Our whole system of American government is designed so that no one alone can have their will be done all the time. The framers of the Constitution figured no one could be trusted with that kind of power, and they're right. Would you dare tell your husband at the start of the day, honey, your will be done. Even if he's a swell guy, no one deserves to have his will followed no matter what. No one except God. When we pray your will be done, we are confessing our confidence that God knows best, that his plans are good, and that his way is always the right way. I've said it often, my greatest hindrance to doing God's will is not a lack of knowledge. It's a lack of desire to actually do it. Why would I, you know, why would I, and why would I lack desire to do God's will? It's because I have a, a will of my own. <laughs> you know, if, if we can take that all the way back to before we knew Christ, we had a will, Right? We had a disposition that was against God and against his authority. By God's grace, he saved us so that that will is now being transformed and changed. And thankfully, we now have a will that actually does desire the things of God. What, a, what amazing transformation that is. 
but we're not home yet. <laughs> we haven't arrived. There's not perfection in that area. There's still a struggle sometimes with my will and God's will. And if we think too highly of ourselves in this, you know, in this area where you, you say, no, I really want what God wants. Because there's, a tr- there's truth in that. I do want God, what God wants. But there's also this part of me that still kind of wants what Jerry wants. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? I, I tell people sometimes that this has happened to me where people are giving testimonies. And I've sat there and thought, man, I'm, I'm loving hearing this testimony. This is so great. Praise God. And then there's this like little part of me that goes, I wonder if they'll say anything about me in this testimony. I wonder if they'll just, you know, just a shout out. And you go, what, what, what is that? Why is that there? I hate that. And you go, oh yeah, that's still the battle that rages. That's still the, the reality that I'm a sinner. And that there's still, there's still a part of me that while I want the glory of God, I still kind of want a little glory for Jerry. Now, sometimes I tell people that and they get uncomfortable. Like, I don't, I, don't, I don't like talking about that. I think it's real. I think that's why we don't like to talk about it. We struggle still. And that's, that's okay, right? Because actually, part of the growth is the awareness of it. Because there was probably a time in my life when I wouldn't have even thought that was bad to think that way. But it's actually a growth in the sense that there's more, that even quicker we recognize, I need to take that thought captive. <laughs> that's not from God. That's not honoring to Him. Think about what you want in the next 10 years. Now, it's easy to do this with teenagers and young people because they've got all these aspirations and plans where if somebody said to me, like, Jerry, what do you hope for the next 10 years? I'm just kind of like, well, I don't know. I'm, you know, just going to kind of ride this thing out, I hope. <laughs> I don't have these major, you know, like, what's going to happen in the next 10 years? Well, there might be certain things, but, you know, when you're, when you're 18 and you're 23, you've got all kinds of stepping stones, Right. But, but let's all try to play along for a moment and just think, okay, for the next 10 years, what would I like to see happen? Now, mostly think personally. I mean, you can probably think of your church and family, but just where would you like to be? What would you like to see happen? You know, if you could create your own blueprint, what would the next 10 years look like for you? Now, you didn't have a lot of time to write that all out, but... Let me just ask you, did in those 10 years, did you include any suffering? Did you include any adversity? Did you add in any afflictions? I would guess no. <laughs> because I think all of us don't really think that way. But we know, once we back up from it, we recognize, oh yeah, that is actually a big part of God's will for my life. <laughs> we know that God includes all of that. We don't always know why. We might know aspects of why, but typically we don't have complete answers to why this. I listened to a message yesterday from a guy at a conference and he talked about in 12, the last 12 years, he's lost six family members. And not like 
you know, his wife, um, a grandchild that was born and only lived for like six days. I mean, these major, his sister a few years later. And he, he would have never mapped out 12 years like that, right? And now he's left with, <laughs> why? And we know some answers. We know Romans 8, you know, 28 and 29. And we know that all things work together. We know God's conforming us into the image of his son. Absolutely. But still, no doubt for him and you and me, there's moments of that or aspects of that that we'd say, but I still really don't know why. I really don't know what, what the good is in this. I don't see it. This is when God's will is challenging for us. God's secret will, God's secret will isn't a problem for us when his secrets include good things. And so often they do. That's the one good thing of keeping in mind with all of that. You know, I, I often think of it as dates, meaning sometimes we have dates in our lives that kind of haunt us because that's the day that my brother died. That's the day, right, that my father died. And so those days come up on a calendar as the year passes and you're kind of going, oh no, here it comes, you know. And that day has a little bit of a, a cloud over it for us, maybe more than a day. Have you ever stopped and thought about how many days are not like that to you? You know, I, I have a couple on my calendar, but the majority of the days on my calendar are, are full of good things, blessings, no hardships. But it's hard sometimes to think in those terms. We tend to just think of the, 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 the struggles in it. So much of it is marked with God's blessings. But with that said, there is still those trials and sufferings that we do not know what God is doing. So the, the song, The Perfect Wisdom of Our God, I don't know if you've sang that here. It seems like maybe you have when, when I've been here before. But the one verse says, oh, grant me wisdom from above to pray for peace and cling to love and teach me humbly to receive both the sun and rain of your sovereignty. Each strand of sorrow has a place within this tapestry of grace. So through the trials, I choose to say your perfect will in your perfect way. Stuart Townend had a part in writing that song. And he says the final verse there, he says it was an attempt to apply the truth to our lives, to acknowledge that God's perfect wisdom is being worked out even in the sufferings and the sorrows we go through. They all play a part in his great tapestry of grace. He said he was nervous. He said, I was nervous about writing this verse because I didn't want to sound dismissive of the things people go through. But instead to help us recognize that although we don't often know why we go through these things, he is working his purpose out through them. And I need to have the faith to say, not my will, but yours. It, the reality hits. If you and I only follow God's will when it fits our will, then whose will are we really following? Right? Now, before we get too down on ourselves, remember that God has used many who ran from his will or opposed it. God has used the nation of Israel. God has used the prophet Jonah. God has used the disciples, even the very inner circle of those guys like Peter, James, and John. I love what H.B. Charles says 
He says, everyone that God uses is a jerk and a sinner. <laughs> everyone God has ever used. I'm like, oh, good. I found myself in that category. This, this, we're all a work in progress. That's, that's the point of the prayer. That we're praying for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as we think of that personally and individually, we recognize that there's still a battle within and there's a progress that God is making and he's giving us more and more of a desire for his will. And the fact that I'm growing in the awareness of that and in the hatred for anything that hinders the glory of God uh, and for the will of God to be primary is a sign of God at work. So it just reminds us how often we need to pray this prayer. That's, that's why it probably does make sense to pray this prayer daily, right? That I'm constantly asking God to do this work. And he is at work. John Newton summed up the progress in the Christian life in this way. I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not what I want to be. I'm not even what I hope to be in another world. But still, I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. Now let's consider just for a few minutes the last seven words of this petition. Your kingdom or your will be done. And then he says, on earth as it is in heaven. This is where the prayer is taken to a whole different level, literally. <laughs> what does heaven have to do with this petition? Jesus is teaching us here and reminds us that heaven is the one place. Heaven's the one place where God's will is always done perfectly. The angels and the saints above, they perfectly obey, they perfectly worship, and they live with a perfect holiness. That's why when we think about it, just, just beyond a few seconds, we get a little jealous. You know, we think of a place where there is perfect worship, perfect obedience, and perfect holiness. Psalm 103 describes heaven as a place where the angels obey the voice of the Lord and always do his bidding. Heaven is a community of created beings living near to God in perfect communion who serve him with wholeheartedness. It's everything we desire. It's everything we long for. It's what we long for. To, we, we long to see that here more. First here and then here, right? We start within and go, oh God, that's what I want to be. Now I know it'll never be achieved here, but I'm longing for that. If I don't long for it, something's wrong. There's a longing because I know that's, that's ultimately what God has in store for me. And, and the fact that he has changed me, saved me, has started that work where I desire for that more than anything else. I desire to obey him perfectly, to worship him perfectly, and to live with a perfect holiness. And it's a beautiful thing when we think that that is what's going on in heaven. And we will be a part of that someday. God has established his will perfectly in heaven. And those of us, uh, those who have gone before us already know and enjoy this reality. That's thinking about this. It makes me think of the, you know, the song that John Lennon wrote. 
Um, you know that great theologian, John Lennon? Yeah. Um, when he thought that the best thing for the world would be that if we could just do away with the notion of heaven, you know, or God, or religion. Uh, he thought that those things br bring the division, right? And were hindrances to peace and unity on the earth. So he, completely opposite of what Jesus is teaching us here, that the best thing for us on earth is to know the reality of heaven and a heavenly father and to get a glimpse of what's going on there and then work our way from there to here. Lenin in his song, right, Imagine says, Imagine there's no heaven, it's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Now he, he, believed, that if that kind, he believed that that kind of thinking was shared by everyone, it would actually bring the world together. But we don't have to imagine a world that thinks like that. that you don't have to, we live in a world that thinks like that. And so, is the reality of that mentality, of that thinking, is the reality peace, unity, and love? Is that what we're seeing our world marked with by everybody who, who, who just ignores that there's a God, ignores that there's heaven, and is just living for today? <laughs> no. Instead, we're seeing all of that play out. And Instead, may we be, you know, I think the idea here in this prayer is challenging us. Imagine a world that actually believes in the reality of heaven and a heavenly father and where everyone always does the father's will. Imagine that. Where everyone lives in union and communion with God and each other. Where everyone's in step with what God decrees. In a sense, Jesus is saying, imagine what that would look like here on earth. But, but better yet, Jesus doesn't leave it to our imagination, but he reveals it to us in his incarnation. Because there is nobody, there's, there's no one who ever lived on this earth who actually obeyed God's will like the Lord Jesus. And so we don't have to imagine, like, well, I wonder what that would look like. No, Jesus actually lives it out and says, this is what it is. <laughs> This is what it looks like. Watch my life. He came to do his father's will and he did it all the way unto death. He told his disciples that his food was to do the father's will and finish his work. Jesus did not simply speak these words, you know, as he's teaching the disciples, or just pray this kind of prayer, but he lived for this very purpose. He lived doing the will of God and his death was the work of God on behalf of sinners. Isaiah said that it was the will of the Lord to crush him, to crush Christ, for him to be bruised for our iniquities and for the, the chastisement of our sins to be laid upon him. He, Christ, absorbed the wrath of God upon sinners who have rebelled against God and have, have multiple times raised their fists at God and in an essence said, My will be done. The amazing thing is instead of letting us go to our eternal ruin, God's will was to send his own son to this earth to live and to die as our substitute. And in the very moment, the, the very moment of his greatest suffering, 
when he's contemplating, enduring the punishment for sin on the cross. It's, it's there we find him in the garden. And what does he pray? Well, first he prays, if it be possible, let this cup, which represents the wrath of God, poured out on sinners that was going to fall on him. Let this cup pass from me. And then he says, but nevertheless, not, not my will, but yours be done. Left to myself, I would choose my own will, which would always be about sin selfishness, and would lead to separation from God. I I can't stand here and tell you everything about God's will for you. But I know this. God's will for you and me is to be awakened to the reality of heaven, the reality of hell, the reality of our sin, and how it separates us from being in a right relationship with God. And then the reality of the good news. The good news that Christ brought by his life, by his teachings, but ultimately by his death and his sacrifice in the place of sinners. Jesus came to make the Father known. That's why this prayer is surrounded by, here's who your Father is. This is the heart of God. And then not only did he do it through his teachings, but he did it through his living when he said, If you want to see the Father, just just look at me, right? You've seen, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. This This is God's will for us to know that, to trust Christ for our salvation and the forgiveness of our sins. More than anything, I hope that you'll hear that part because... We can talk about all kinds of things about God's will for your life, but it, doesn't, but it has to start here. Do you know God's will for you in that you trust his provision for your sin in giving his son, who is our savior, trust Christ for, your, for salvation and the forgiveness of your sins? Does it stop there when it comes to knowing God's will? Absolutely not, right? No, there's... There's so much more to knowing God's will, and most of it is is given to us in His revealed will. So you really want to know God's will for you, then you're you're saying, God, I want to know, love, and obey your word. Help me to know it. I can't know it unless I meditate on it. I can't know it unless I'm in it, studying it, reading it. I can't know it unless I'm putting myself in position for others to teach it and, and help me understand it. Help me to know it. Help me to love it. There's a challenge. Not just know it, not just read it, but love it. Desire it. Treasure it. Help me to, when I don't, to honestly come to you and asking you to change my desires. Because it's true that there are moments where God's word just jumps off the page to us. And then there's there's times where it just feels, I don't know why. There's times where my heart just feels on fire for God's word. And there's times my heart feels so cold. So you go to the Lord and you say, God, it's not good. It's not right. Change my heart. Change my desires. Cause me to love it. And whether I desire it or love it at the moment or not, help me to obey it. 
to obey it even when everything in me fights against it, right? Help me to obey your word. And then when it comes to his secret will, oh God, would you, would you help us to trust your sovereign care in our lives, even when that includes pain and sorrow and suffering? Help us to, you know, I just heard a message this morning before I came here on, on suffering. And it was out of 1 Peter. And just, but ultimately what he kept trying to point us to is the hope that the believer has of where that suffering leads to. What God's doing in it and ultimately how God will heal it. <laughs> you know, and he, and he mentioned you know, that there are times where we go into suffering, but when we know the outcome, we're willing to go through the suffering. And the first thought that came to my mind was, I, my wife sitting next to me, I thought, pregnancy, right? Like, that's, that's a lot for her to go through, but the outcome is worth it, <laughs> right? It's easy for me to say, but she would say that. And the pastor spoke of just having knee surgery, and he said, I went through this because even though it's painful, and even though, you know, I'm going through... Uh, therapy that's just, you know, making me hate the guy who's walking me through it. But he's got, a, he's got a goal in mind that the day is coming when this will heal. And I'll be back on that golf course. It'll be worth it. <laughs> and those just pale in comparison for the believer who walks through whatever suffering. You say, for us, it's the hope of heaven. It's, it's the, the knowledge that all of this pain, suffering, and sorrow will someday be done. And not only will it pass, but we'll be able to look back and go, you know, what God had created for us that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, now that, now that I know that, it's, it's actually, this is even sweeter because of what we had to walk through to get to this point. God is so glorious and so good. So help us to trust your will for us, even when that includes pain and sorrow and suffering. And ultimately, we pray that what we long for in heaven, we'll see just glimpses of it here. True in my own heart, true in my family. You know, make that a reality in our church. Make that a reality even in our world as we pray for God to do a work in places where it may seem very dark right now. So let me close with just kind of a, an old covenant in prayer. It said, I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you. Exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to your pleasure and your disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours, so be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, may it be ratified in heaven. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for how it teaches us more of your heart and your desire for us. Oh God, I pray the very things that I'm preaching that I'll take to heart and live out, that God, your work and your will and your ways would be um, 
would, would start with me and then, and then manifest themselves through my life and through each one in this room as we hear and think upon your word. May you start with us. May you work in this church. May you use this church in ways that reveals your goodness and your glory to have more of an impact in this community and in families and marriages and homes and lives, all for your glory. Thank you for giving us the perfection of what it means and looks like to live out uh, your will in the person and work of your son. So even as we think today of our failures and how so far short we fall from living and loving your will, I'm so grateful that you don't see us in our works and efforts, but you see us through the person and work of your own son. Thank you for his perfection in our place. Help us then in light of that to strive to live out and to, to be more like your son and our savior, Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.